his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. US Q3 2023. There may be no better person to talk about remote learning than Sal Khan. Hi, everyone. Sal here from Khan Academy. Uh, I am back in the walk-in closet where Khan Academy all began, uh, socially distanced. Obviously, uh, well before this pandemic, years before, Sal Khan developed a platform for educational videos that has revolutionized learning around the globe. His Khan Academy, a not-for-profit video educational platform, aims to let anyone, anywhere, learn almost anything for free. Welcome to our daily homeroom live stream. Uh, for those of you who don't know what this is or what Khan Academy is, uh, Khan Academy is a not-for-profit with a mission of providing a free world-class education for anyone, anywhere. Sal Khan, educated at MIT and Harvard, began tutoring his cousin in math remotely back in 2004, and the idea was born. Teaching remotely using short, simple videos. Today, the Khan Academy YouTube channel is closing in on 6 million subscribers. Who better to help us understand how to make the best of this new school year with the challenges we face from remote learning? This is a really not great circumstance we're in. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm the poster child for online learning often, but I'll be the first to say that if I had to pick an amazing teacher in a physical classroom versus distance learning with, you know, best technology, I would pick the amazing teacher in a physical classroom for my own kids any day of the week. Clearly, that's not an option. So what can we learn from this education innovator? Actually, the top priority, even before the academic standards, is making sure there's mechanisms where kids feel connected to their teachers, to a community of peers where they can have friendships. I've heard some really good school districts, Phoenix, Arizona is one, where they're making sure that every kid in the district is getting a call from an adult in the district uh, at least once a day. And it could just be a, a two-minute check-in phone call, but it's a sense of huge signal to that student that there are people uh, that have their back. As we head into the new school year where virtual learning will be the norm, this is a conversation that every parent, every administrator, and teacher should give a listen to. Sal Khan on how to make virtual learning work. I'm Tim Sheld from WCBS News Radio 880. I've seen Sal Khan on 60 Minutes. His life story is fascinating. Self-made, masters from Harvard Business School, but he gave up a career in finance for a higher calling. And now, more than ever, we need Sal Khan. 
Did we mention he produces free videos to provide learning tools to all? Millions have watched his two TED Talks. Bill Gates has called him his favorite teacher. Sal Khan's tool is video. We asked Sal Khan to talk us off the ledge about our concerns with the coming school year. He spoke to our Peter Haskell, who asked him right off the bat, what should school districts and educators be most focused on as we begin the school year in a virtual environment? I'm a big believer that uh, technology is never the thing that you should lead with. Uh, A lot of technologists will have solutions or technologies in search of a problem. I think it's much more of what is your goal, what are you trying to solve for, and then think about what tools are at your disposal. A lot of those tools are, could be very low-tech, it could be pencil and paper, uh, or it could be technology. Now, clearly, this distance learning circumstances that the whole world finds itself in, uh, that makes us realize that, okay, if we want to have human-to-human interaction, we want to be able to communicate at a time that we can't be in the same physical space together, we're clearly going to need some type of technology. But it's always about what are your priorities, what are your goals, and then thinking about the With that said, what should school districts be doing to make sure that they can best educate the kids that they're responsible for? So there's a couple of dimensions to it. You know, there's a first realization that we all associate school as the place where you learn the various academic standards, and that's clearly what a lot of school is about. How do you factor a polynomial? How do you improve your reading comprehension? How do you learn geography? But a lot of what happens in school implicitly is friendships, social emotional learning, feeling supported, there's other social services. And the somewhat ironic situation we're finding ourselves in, we're, we're getting into hybrid learning and distance learning. And even though it's distance, for a lot of kids right now, because the rest of their life is distance as well, that that's their main lifeline to this socialization, to uh, getting support from other human beings. So I think the, actually the top priority, even before the academic standards, is making sure there's mechanisms where kids feel connected to their teachers, to a community of peers where they can have friendships. I've heard some really good school districts, Phoenix, Arizona is one, where they're making sure that every kid in the district is getting a call from an adult in the district uh, at least once a day. And it could just be a a two-minute check-in phone call, but it sends a huge signal to that student that there are people uh, that have their back. When kids are doing the academic learning, there's really two ways they can do that. They can do that at their own time and pace. They can use platforms like Khan Academy that can give as much practice and feedback as possible and then give their teachers reports on where they are. And obviously the other modality is get on video conference of some kind, get on you know, Google, Google uh, Hangouts or, or get on, on Zoom. And in that world, what's, what's very clear is a teacher just delivering a, a lecture to students over the course of, 45 or 50 minutes is not a good use of video conference time. Uh, Once again, because kids need more human interaction than ever, teachers really have to uh, make an effort to pull kids out of the screen, to cold call them, to make them work on things with their other friends, put them into virtual breakout sessions, uh, and, and then report back to the teacher. Also, this is an opportunity where we can break some of the old constructs we have. You know, a traditional uh, classroom we have five 55-minute periods a week where we have to cover something. We're seeing a lot of examples where a teacher actually breaking that up, instead of doing one one-hour uh, session with 30 kids, do four 15-minute sessions with seven or eight kids at a, at a time. 
uh, or breaking it up so that you have certain sessions covering different topics depending on what kids need. Some more interactive, maybe some more focused on socialization, maybe some more focused on academics. Uh, but in all of this, you know, to the earliest point, make sure that students have time to talk to each other and socialize, and maybe even explicitly sometimes encouraging them to talk about stuff outside of school, outside of the school work, but within that virtual school setting. Back in March, schools could be forgiven for the mistakes made in the quick move to remote learning. Five months later, we should be more prepared, right? So I think it's, it's step by step. I mean, whenever you go into a situation like this, it's always worth reminding folks we are in a pandemic. This is going to be a situation where anyone should expect some you know, Cadillac version of virtual schooling happening this quickly because teachers have had to transition, pivot very quickly. Districts have had to. Parents are still trying to figure out what, how they can support their kids. So what I, my recommendation has been for districts is to think about what they really need to make sure it doesn't fall through the cracks over this time period. And a lot of times, it really is the reading, the writing, and the mathematics, you know, you're the traditional three R's. Offer the other things if you can, and then let families decide to what degree do they have the capacity and the bandwidth to handle it. But in these core areas, it really is, you know, I think the phase one is a com- is kind of directly mapping what you were doing in the physical world to the virtual world. And that's frankly where most schools are right now, where the the problems, homework aspect of, of schooling, that's being done on platforms like Khan Academy, and then the uh, in-person, it's you know it's almost a direct mapping onto a Zoom session or onto a Google Meet session, and I think we're now entering a new phase where some folks are realizing, okay, that 60-minute Zoom session isn't really uh, working for a lot of kids, and it's frankly not working for the teacher. It's in- in- incredibly draining for the teacher to just be talking to a screen uh, for, for a long period of time. And so we are starting to see, and it's really about giving teachers permission and autonomy to experiment here. And, you know, there's something liberating about the environment we're in, as, as, as horrible as the situation is. Uh, because no one knows what perfect looks like or even what even solid looks like, it creates a lot of space for experimentation. If you're a teacher and you experiment with something and it doesn't work, not a big deal. At least you tried. And I suspect that as you keep iterating, you eventually will find things that work. But as a teacher, try to index as much as being as available as possible for the students. Uh, think about restructuring how you are available. It doesn't have to be in these one-hour periods. It could be smaller groups for smaller amounts of time. And also, uh, you know, in traditional education, there's a lot of emphasis around, like, really planning these super well-architected lesson plans, which have its value for sure. But I think we're in a moment where kids need that social interaction so much and that, that human-to-human interaction so much that my advice to teachers were, would be lean more on the side of being just more available. Maybe you're going to be able to plan less for those interactions, but let those interactions be a little bit more uh, improvisational, extemporaneous, and, 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 and let them go where they need to go. And also, as I mentioned earlier, make sure there's space to, for talking to kids about what they're doing, what they're going through. Even if you're a math teacher, a part of the job, and I know it wasn't in the original job description, is going to be some of that emotional well-being and making sure kids feel safe in, in, in this highly stressful situation we're all in. Parents would certainly agree that kids need this uh, social interaction and this humanity, as you describe. Should parents just expect their kids are not going to learn what they would have learned a year ago? I think there's an opportunity for that, for sure. You know, even if you look at the traditional schooling experience, 
you know, if you have a six, seven, eight hour school day, a lot of it, students are not necessarily engaged right at their learning end, so to speak. And so, you know, all of us at Khan Academy have been talking about this for a long time, well before COVID, is that there's opportunities to allow students to learn at their learning edge uh, what's exactly appropriate for them so that they're not lost or they're not bored and give teachers the tools to understand where they are and unblock them. And in that type of methodology, there's a lot of efficacy studies behind it, kids can learn more uh, in, in less time because that time is being used uh, more efficiently. So there is a possibility that as we go to distance learning, some aspects of the academic learning actually might be able to happen because people are leaning more on these tools that can personalize for the students where learning is not bound by time or space, that you can have some more learning gain uh, than you normally you, you normally would have. Um, my, I think the name of the game right now is engagement. The the kids that are go, able to stay engaged either because they are motivated to do the, so themselves or they have a lot of support at home to stay engaged. I actually think those kids are going to do just fine, and their families might discover things, new things that work really well for those kids that they might want to keep doing even after uh, this crisis we're in. Uh, but I'm really worried about the kids who aren't engaging. The districts that I'm talking to, even when they're able to close the digital divide to some degree and distribute laptops and get internet access, five or 10% of the kids are just lost. They're not, they're not able to engage with them. They might not have the right supports at home. Maybe their, kid, their parents are essential workers. They're, they're not able to, to, to give the kids what they need so that they, they're engaged. And that's what I'm, I'm really worried about. How do districts deal with that digital divide? So there's two ways I've seen it done so far. The first is this, you know, a mass distribution of laptops and working with the local telecom carriers in order to get everyone uh, internet access. And New York City has done a heroic effort. Then it really could only be described as heroic. It's on the order of 300,000 laptops. Uh, LA Unified did, I think, 200,000 laptops. Miami-Dade did a similar amount. But they're also finding that uh, even when they do that, 5 or 10% of the kids are still hard to really engage with. And Maryland um, has, has been doing some really interesting pilots where they're doing distance learning, so everyone is doing remote learning, but then they open up the schools as a place for kids who don't have supports at home to get internet access, to actually get a meal, and to get some form of childcare in a COVID-safe, socially distanced way. So they're still doing distance learning. The teachers are teaching from home in a safe way, uh, but the kids are able to go socially distance, and it's, it's roughly 15, 20% of the kids or less, uh, so they can do it in a socially distance way. And then they're also able to get some uh, child care for their family, for their parents uh, who might need it. Uh, so that, to me, has been a, a pretty compelling way of trying to ensure that you're reaching, especially this category of kids that might not have the supports at home and would otherwise be completely lost. Sal Khan recently wrote an op-ed for the New York Times on avoiding an education catastrophe in how we do remote learning. We asked him to explain his worst fears. Well, you know, not to be too uh, Pollyannish, but like, you know, the, 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 the catastrophic scenario is we've already had six months of school weirdness, I guess you could say. They, you know, schools have been open to some degree, but the kids haven't been there physically present. A large chunk of kids... and. You know, this is disproportionately the kids that were already struggling and already falling behind uh, have not been deeply engaged over the last six months. Most of the evidence would say that not only when, when you don't learn, when you're out in school for six months, not only are you not learning new things, 
the skills that you happen to have six months ago are also atrophies. And so a lot of the research we're looking at implies that uh, kids who haven't been really engaged over the last six months might actually have gone back a year in their learning. And now if this continues for another year, uh, which the ranks continuing to be you know, pretty clear on the wall that this, the school closures aren't just until November. It's likely it's, we should at least plan that it's going to be throughout this whole school year. If those kids aren't engaged with, not only might they, their skills actually to the point that they're two, three, four, four grade levels further behind than they already were, but they might just lose the pattern of schooling altogether, the habits of schooling. Uh, they might fall into really bad you know, mental states. We're, we're hearing really negative data about uh, where school kids are you know, from a social, emotional well-being point of view right now. So that is, at the end of the day, the real um, disaster uh, that we need, to, we need to try to avert. I think there are, you know, the case of Maryland is one way to engage these kids, distributing laptops. I think giving more support for teachers, more training for teachers, because now we're asking them to do more. Not only are they mapping their lesson plans and curriculum to a virtual world, but there is an element where they're going to need to do more of the emotional, social supports for, for kids as well, because they're, they're, they're one of the kids' main lifelines right now. These are the types of things uh, that need to be put in place so that, yeah, we, we, we don't lose uh, as many kids. And obviously, you know, on the Khan Academy side, the more that we can add more content areas and more tools for teachers, we're trying to do that. I have a project called Schoolhouse.World, which is separate from Khan Academy, another nonprofit effort, where I'm trying to match kids who need help, tutoring help, with volunteer folks, who high-quality tutors who can do group tutoring sessions. So I think it's kind of a full-court press where we have to tackle all of these dimensions so that the, um, we, we minimize the damage and, and even hopefully come out of this crisis with new muscles uh, that can be a little bit of a silver lining. What should parents be doing at home? What kind of setup should they be trying to put in place to create a better learning atmosphere from kids who are doing virtual learning? So, uh, you know, the key is to, to uh, create really strong habits. And the way to do that is, you know, have the kids on a schedule similar to what they would have been when they were in school, regular school, so to speak. Get up, get ready, change your clothes, take a shower, brush your teeth, make your bed, etc. When you do your school work, do it from a designated place. That should be psychologically kind of the, where, the, where the child views, that's my school. It might be at the at the kitchen table, it might be at a de- desk in the office room, wherever, wherever it happens to be. It obviously should be well lit, well ventilated, et cetera, et cetera. You know, depending on the schedule that the, the school is giving to the family, one, you know, parents should print it out, put it on the fridge, and they need to know that schedule really deeply. And I'm still grokking my children's schedule. It's not an easy thing to do. But to really understand it, because if you're, if you're not, especially for younger kids, if you don't really understand that, uh, there, there's going to be a lot of stuff that, that falls through the cracks. I would say the other element is hopefully the school is offering ample breaks for kids and making sure as a parent that those breaks are uh, as productive on the social and emotional and physical well-being side as possible. So if you're in an environment where you have open space, if you have a backyard, a local park, try to get out to those as much as possible. If you, if there's, a, if there's another family or two that you feel comfortable with kind of being in your COVID bubble, you know, meet with them at the park, have, have, a, have a resource, have a recess uh, together uh, so that the kids get, once again, some more of that social interaction. And then from an academic point of view, you know, regardless of what the school is doing or not doing, as a parent, 
just really make sure that your kids aren't atrophying in the core skills of math, reading, and writing. Math, obviously, there's the schoolwork that the that the the school's going to assign virtually. It may be using Khan Academy already, but there's an opportunity. Khan Academy is free, not for profit, non commercial. Uh, kids can learn at their own time and pace. We have get ready for grade level courses where kids can fill in gaps, understand how ready they are, but in general they can learn at their own pace and parents can monitor and parents can use it as well to make sure that they're learning the skills so that they can help their kids. Reading, there's a lot of tools out there including Khan Academy, but it literally could be as simple as just making sure kids spend a little time reading some books, magazines, maybe alongside parents discussing it at lunch and writing could be very similar. Uh, you know, get your kids in the habit of journaling. It's an interesting time to journal. I think in 20 years your kids will want to read their own journals about what was going on in the world during COVID. They want to read it to their kids in the future. But say, hey, why don't you journal some stuff? Why don't you write some opinion pieces? We'll put it on a blog. We'll share it with your grandparents and your uncles and aunts. That's the type of stuff that um, is actually taking advantage of this unfortunate circumstance we're in to motivate academic learning. Uh, because it's, I mean, you know, if some kid gets through this situation without understanding what a virus is versus a bacteria, without understanding at least the basics of exponential growth, what DNA, RNA are, uh, or, or even, you know, how the economy is impacted by uh, closures and things like that, then it, it, was, it would have been a lost learning opportunity. In a, lot of, in a lot of cases, it's kind of top-down. The teachers or the districts are telling the parents what's going to be happening. Are there questions parents should be asking districts, or are there things they should be asking for or demanding to make sure their kids don't lose another year. Yeah, and you know it's a delicate situation. Uh, so I think what we need right now is really strong and trusting lines of communication between the various actors, between parents, students, teachers, administrators, um, and you know so it shouldn't necessarily be parents saying, "Oh, I've heard you know the neighboring school they're doing this awesome stuff." teacher, you need to do a better job. That's going to be counterproductive. There's probably very good reasons why that teacher at that school maybe hasn't been able to do what the, the what you perceive the neighboring school has been able to do. Uh, on the other hand, I've actually seen situations, I've actually experienced this myself, where the teachers feel a lot of pressure to you know, do everything that physical school was doing before, and then the parents are feeling overloaded. They're like, wow, this is an incredibly long schedule to be doing over video conference, and my kids are tired, I'm tired, I can't do my own work. So that's where it's really valuable to have this line of communication to say, hey, uh, teacher, this is an incredible amount of work you're doing. I really appreciate it. But I actually think there's an opportunity. I've been talking to other parents where this might be too much of work uh, given the, the circumstances we're doing it with. And that could, could be liberating for the teacher because the teacher might have been thinking it on, on, on their side that it's, taking a, it's depleting for them to create that much work for the, for the kids. Uh, so I think as long as you have really strong and collaborative lines and respectful lines of communication uh, on both sides, because uh, really now the teacher, the, the parents are, are really co-teaching or they're the teaching assistant now. So they, it should have that type of uh, relationship. And, uh, but also, you know, new ideas. You know, if you see another district or if you hear something on the radio of like, hey, I heard some guy on the radio talk about a model where you don't have to do 60-minute classes. You can do 20-minute classes. Uh, that, you know, talk to the teacher about it, but always in a, you know, uh, uh, have empathy for what they're going through. Don't, don't just demand it. Before we let Sal Khan go, we wanted to hear his thoughts about how he would handle remote learning here in New York City, the largest school system in the nation. If he had the keys to the remote classroom here, how would he make it work? So I would do a couple of things. 
Uh, first of all, I would give very clear guidance to the schools and to the teachers what I would say a minimum viable experience of distance learning used to look like. And uh, in my mind, it is you, you pick the core academic areas. I would actually focus on the reading, the writing, and the mathematics. And, it, you, you know, it's not to say that you only do that, but then you can give people other opportunities to, to layer on more. But really make sure you get those right. On the math side, I would say make sure uh, kids are working at their right level on Khan Academy at least 30 minutes a day. Teachers, you get a dashboard of where kids are, and then you dynamically create Zoom or video conference sessions based on where, where kids need the most help. Uh, and once again, they don't have to be these hour-long periods for everyone. You realize 10 kids need help with negative numbers, schedule a 15-minute a window with them, maybe during your traditional time where that, that, that time was blocked for math, uh, and then, but every other kid can keep working on whatever they need to work on or, frankly, just go for a walk. Uh, then you can spend another 15 minutes with the kids who need help with exponents and, and so on and so forth. Uh, try to have as many checkpoints with them as possible at least uh, once a day. Try to make yourself available as kind of an office hour. And then I would do something very similar in the reading and the writing aspect of it. Uh, and whenever you're on video conference, make sure it's interactive. If the adult in the, in the Zoom, so to speak, is speaking for more than you know, 10% of the time, I would not categorize that as, as interactive. So really make sure the kids are talking and talking to each other as much as possible. Make, make them collaborate. On top of that, I would create a, a mechanism to prove what kids know and don't know. Um, I, a lot of teachers right now are struggling with assessment and how do they know that it's really the kids' work. It could be as simple as uh, you, you take, you know, in Khan Academy we have assessments, we call them unit tests and course challenges. A student can take that while capturing their screen. You know, on, on tools like Zoom, you can actually record your screen and submit that recording to the teacher and, then the t and, and talk out loud while you're doing the test. And then the teacher has pretty good evidence that that is actually your work. And actually, they'll probably get more data than they would have historically because they're, they're hearing you and seeing you think through the, the question. And then if the student is able to show a mastery in that, then, you know, in your database, your gradebook, whatever, it's mastered. On top of that, I would try to provide district-wide support. So we have this program in Long Beach in Southern California. It's this thing called schoolhouse.world, which pairs kids who need tutoring with volunteer tutors. And so we're also doing that at the district level. So within that, the sandbox of a district, any kid in the district can get sessions and classes and tutoring from any teacher in the district. One of the opportunities that we're here, and in a place like New York, you for sure you can do it in such a large district, is you no longer have to be limited by the, the, the what's offered in your local school. So all of a sudden there's the opportunity that if, if you're in New York and if you're a, student, a high school student in one of the less resourced schools, but you want to take AP Calculus, you should be able to take that from any teacher um, in, in all of New York City now, uh, at least on, on certain aspects of it. And so that would be the kind of the more aspirational wave I would do is kind of the competency-based way for people to prove what they know and ways of all actually breaking uh, or expanding the universe of, of who kids have access to and the courses they have access to, and, and also allowing some of your top star teachers to reach more students and also provide guidance for a lot more, a lot more teachers, a lot, a lot more than peer teachers. So thanks so much for your time. Is there anything we should have talked about that we didn't? I think we touched on all the big, um, the big issues. I mean, all I'll say is, this is a really not great circumstance we're in. Uh, you know, I'm I'm the poster child for 
online learning often, but I'll be the first to say that if I had to pick an amazing teacher in a physical classroom versus distance learning with you know the best technology, I would pick the amazing teacher in a physical classroom for my own kids any day of the week. Clearly, that's not an option. And also, you know, it's not you don't have to pick either or. Ideally, you have great technology in service of amazing teachers. Uh, but I think there's there's two things we have to think deeply about. How do we get through the next nine months so that we don't lose kids? Hopefully, we keep growing them. We uh, support them from a social-emotional point of view. And at the same time, we look at this crisis. Are there places that we can actually make progress that could be a long-standing improvement even beyond the COVID crisis? Sal Khan, the founder of Khan Academy. Well worth your time to look into his resources for your kids and your schools. Just Google Khan Academy, and Khan is spelled, by the way, K-H-A-N. He also mentioned another platform he's been working on, a platform to connect individuals who want to learn about something and tutors who are ready to teach it. Check that out at schoolhouse.world. Schoolhouse.world. My thanks to Peter Haskell for his time spent with Sal Khan. 880 In-Depth is a weekly podcast produced by the staff of WCBS News Radio 880. Executive producers are Peter Haskell and myself, Tim Sheld. We encourage you to pass this conversation on if you find it useful. And just look for 880 In-Depth wherever you get your podcasts to subscribe. As always, and especially in this pandemic and beyond, be safe. Last but not least, I just want to say as, as, as one human being talking to another, uh, you know, this is a new frontier for all of us. But I've been very heartened by the humanity that I'm seeing in everyone. Everyone is just trying to help everyone else as a human being. And I'm confident that if we just do the next right thing, one step after another, that we're all going to be able to uh, get each other uh, through this situation. Thank you. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone.